So, yeah, starting this thing off, man, what exactly is your work? How would you describe what you do and why do you do it? What a great question. You know, I, I'll have, I'll give a boring answer. I kind of like vanilla answer and then maybe I'll elaborate well. a little okay. bit more. <laughs> yeah. As far as what I do is I, I would say I teach people practical tools and methodologies that people have been doing for at least a few thousand years that provide a sense of holistic health. You know, I mean, that's, that's the, that's like the vanilla answer, but r- really what I do is I teach methods that I've learned over the last, um, at least this lifetime, maybe more, who knows, uh, but at least this lifetime, the particular tools and methods that I've been able to use to improve my quality of life that um, I like to share with others to help them improve their quality of life. And that's really in four categories. I oversimplify in terms of breaking things down into our, we have our physical and mental health or just health in general. We have our spiritual health. We have our relationships of upline, downline, peers, et cetera. Uh, and then we have our uh, dharma or our career. And, you know, I've spent a decent amount of time in trying to understand the different options and varieties in these four categories of life and how to share information for people to improve each of those. So what their dharma or their unique life purpose is and how to monetize that, what their unique bodily constitution is and how to achieve balance in terms of their health, what are spiritual practices that are intrinsic to everyone's nature that aren't going to be feel artificial, but are going to be natural wherever you uh, from anyone wherever they're starting, and then what t- what are some easy practical ways to actually have quality relationships in your life? Mm. So those are the primary things that I spend most of my time trying to think on and talk on and share on. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so you sound like you're creating yogis. That's the idea. Yeah, I mean, if if we're looking at the literal term of yogi, right, which comes from the Sanskrit yuk, or uh, we we actually have the cognate still in English to yoke, which means to connect, and where yoga first appears in all of the ancient Vedic literatures, the yoga literatures is in the oldest, the Rig Veda, which, I mean, I guess we're just getting into it, but uh, out of all of the oldest written literatures in the world, it's the oldest one we currently know of, the Rig Veda, where it talks about yoga means war. And maybe we can get to that another time, but specifically because you yoke, you, you, you yoke the chariot to the horses to go out to battle. And so yoga was first used as a form of uniting the chariot to the horses. And so in a literal term, it means to unite, but obviously in the term you're using and what most of us are familiar with is to unite with spirit. And so according to that terminology, definitely that's the goal. <laughs> Try to make some uniters per se. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Quite an honorable and noble goal. Yeah. I don't see uh, any higher pursuit to bring one to the, uh, I guess, mindset, the wavelength of a higher self in general, right? To know that there is a sort of spirit that one can tap into in someone's life that ultimately brings a sense of fulfillment, happiness, joy, bliss, whatever it is. To know that's a thing, yes, but then to actually live the life and do it, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And to guide others to that is an even more beautiful thing. So I bow to you in that. <laughs> well, ditto. I mean, I'm, I'm always grateful to those like yourself who consistently put out information that others can come to and listen to, to actually do what we're talking about. And so, um, 
unlimited bows back at you, pal. <laughs> unlimited bows back at you, pal. Um, because all all we ever want is knowledge anyway. Actually, you know, even if somebody doesn't doesn't say it out loud, all I want is knowledge. That's really all we're looking for. And nowadays, one of the best ways to get that knowledge is platforms like this and sharing in podcasts and video audio forms. And so uh, I'm really grateful for you consistently putting out information that all the viewers, and I know people are hearing, they're going, yeah. Um, very <laughs> grateful for you putting out this content, content so that so many who have uh, the thirst of knowledge can actually come and get in touch with that. Because mm. as you mentioned, the nature of spirit, it's so, it's so natural for people to talk about spirit because according to at least ancient Vedic perspective, again, for those not familiar with this word Veda, very literally means knowledge. And uh, we're talking about the knowledge literatures and the ancient wisdom of India and really just of the East. They talk about spirit is self or the soul. It's the real you that's driving around the biomechanical robot or the AKA the human body, the meat suit, however you want to call it. You know, the body's constantly changing, but you who's observing through the body stays the same. And just like we say, this is my hand or this is my hair or my eye. We don't say this is eye hand or eye eye or eye hair, mm-hmm. you know, because we don't, we don't, we own a body. And we're not less of a person if I'm missing an arm or whatever the case might be. And so the body's constantly changing from the time you come out of the womb to the, um, to the other end of life. And you, the observer, are getting to witness all those changes as if objectively. And so the idea of spirit, or we're talking about spiritual, of the nature of spirit, is you as a spiritual entity, uh, as a soul, as a spark of life that's driving around this robot uh, is eternal and blissful in in nature. It's eternal, fully cognizant, full of knowledge. Um, and coming back to the concept of spirit is just coming back to, the, it's the most natural thing in the world. You're just coming back to who you really are because we only get sad if we connect with matter. You get attached to, this is my body, it's pretty cool. Wait a couple decades, you know? So it's going to change a little bit on you. Yeah. Even the mind, you say, oh, I'm so proud of my intelligence. And then give it a couple of years before you know it, that will go. But cultivate, as you know, as you said it so eloquently, cultivating practices that nourish the this, this self or the soul in mm-hmm. Sanskrit, the jivatma, um, you, you get to take that on beyond this birth. And I always like to tell people that since we're reincarnating at fully every seven years, every seven years, every single cell in our body is completely regenerated. So anyone who's listening, if you're over, say, 21 years old, you've, congrats, you've made it through at least three reincarnations in this lifetime. You've taken on new carne over and over every seven years. And it only makes sense that if our whole experience in this life is consistently taking on new carne, new cells, new body, um, why would that change after the end of this body? And the yoga literature says it's just like taking off your pajamas or you're taking, taking off your clothes and putting your pajamas on, you know, like this, the soul's taking on new bodies. And so therefore, why not cultivate the spirit? As you said so wisely, it's like, why not spend some time cultivating there? Because that, that you can actually take beyond this life, beyond the hair and the cool cars you got. <laughs> <laughs> not negating the hair and the cool cars. If you have nice hair. or I'm a big fan of both, cars. actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I think it's, uh, and you can even appreciate that even more knowing that it's temporary, right? Yeah, um, then you don't take it for granted, right? Mm-hmm. And especially being in a human form, it's like, I'm, I, I like dogs. Anyone, anyone listening, you might resonate. It's like, dogs are pretty cool. You see a dog, you're like, you see a dog you've never seen before, you're just like, I love you so much. You see like a cow, you're like, oh my God, give me a hug. 
And, you know, we're so grateful for these animals, but they don't have a prefrontal cortex. They don't have the ability you and I have to question things beyond ourselves and to say, what's the purpose of life? And so what to speak of being in a human body, what to speak of a human body that actually works and cooperates, what to speak of a human body that has access to technology so we can consume knowledge. What a gift. I mean, what, what an like astronomical chance that you get this special opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And it all comes from that perspective of being able to tap in to the higher soul, right? Because it's like, you look at it as what a gift when if one not judging, but if one doesn't know of the presence of a higher state that is quite literally eternal, that does just take off his pajamas and put on new pajamas from time to time, then it may look very dark. Like it may look very like, Ooh, oh, it's temporary. All oh, this is going to fade. I'm going to die someday. I mean, understandably so because we don't really know any better, but it may look a little bleak, you know, it's like, uh, ooh, because essentially, and this is all kind of a long story, but it's because we form attachment to the temporary things. But I guess it's when we, we find that, that little glimpse of light within of something that may be, may be permanent, it may be a little bit more lasting than the temporary phenomena of uh, property of the, uh, of the material world, then maybe just maybe throwing it out there, that is the source of bliss, joy, happiness, or this knowledge that you said we all have a thirst for. It's almost like we have misplaced priorities on where we want to find that knowledge. You know, if we all have that knowledge, that thirst, that kind of like that, that yearning, right? We just don't know maybe from our conditionings, I don't know how, but we seem to have lost our way on how to find out how to quench the thirst. (laughs) But yoga seems like a way to quench the thirst, right? And is it the only way? Would you say yoga and the whole system of yoga is the only way to this kind of everlasting peace or at least touching upon that? Well, to say firmly that it's the only way would mean that I would have a I'd be in a helicopter hovering over all the options and I could see all the ways. And that would entail me having a superior perspective to know for certain, which would kind of indicate I would need to be omniscient. Fortunately, I'm not. Well, fortunately, unfortunately, that's just my situation. So I I absolutely couldn't say it's the only way, but according to the, as you know, according to yoga literatures themselves is that we're talking about not one particular <clears throat> sectarian practice, but we're talking about a type of science of the self and learning how to uncover that real nature. So according to that, maybe more general or broad principle of yoga, I would say that I feel pretty confident in saying 100% of people who are embodied, souls that are embodied could benefit. And so is it the only way? Is the only way to transcend practicing transcendence? Potentially, you know, if you were, if we're getting into the semantics, like yeah. then, yeah, you could say that. But that's what I'm getting at. It's like not yeah. necessarily the practices of yoga and the modalities of yoga, but finding out, putting it simply, that there's a kind of God. You know, there's a, there's a yeah. little bit more than just the five senses in the material world. There's a little bit of magic that's happening behind the scenes. When you tap into that and realize the love that's really working out behind the scenes, I don't see any other way personally, man. 
Well, the alternatives, as you mentioned, is quite bleak. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, you spend some time in this world and you see what the world has to offer. And as you mentioned, it just, it causes a type of, yeah, this type of existential crisis of like nihilism. It's just like, what's, this all sucks anyway. Yeah. And so, you know, in philosophy, there's two options. They say that the idea that the soul isn't eternal and that at the time of when you die, it's all over. It's just darkness. We call this type of philosophical suicide because you don't know one way or the other. If, if you're eternal or not, you don't know. But what we do know is that if I got the option of eternal life and then as soon as the lights go out here, the lights are eternally out, which there, there are theological issues with that, which we can maybe get into in terms of uh, would divinity cause a world like that? Uh, that a, a fully powerful and fully loving divinity? I no. But as far as you know, if we have the option to choose, yeah, everything go goes in this life, and it's just bleak. That's a bummer. Anyone, anyone would be bummed by that. But as you mentioned, it's like when you cultivate a practice that will hopefully go beyond this life, then you you have something to look forward to. That what was now bleak of like, oh, this world is dark. You're like, yeah, but that's okay because light's available too. In this dark world, the light's available. It's just a matter of tapping in. And, you know, as you mentioned, the G word, which for whatever reason here, at least in the US of A, it's like a, it's a, it's a trigger word. I like to say, you know, the, the OG, the love supreme, like pick a, you know, pick a word anywhere. Yep, <laughs> the, yep. That supreme nature from which we, we all are emanated from, and that is allowing these workings to happen in this world. Um, it's so, no one disagrees that there are higher powers. I mean, if someone says there's no higher power than me, go out in the sun. How long are you going to spend out in the sun? <laughs> you know, there's no higher power? Go in the ocean. Just take a little swim and like, tell me how long is it going to take till you're like, there's a, there are powers higher than me. And we understand that if there's powers higher than me, there's powers lower than me. Eventually, there gets to a point where there must be a highest power. Mm. And so, we're just talking about that highest power, which as you said, so- um confidently and so eloquently that is really looking out for us and and really has our best interest in mind and specifically you know we would call the triple og it's like omniscient omnibenevolent and um omnipotent or fully powerful fully uh kind and loving and also fully knowing uh, at least I always like to say God actually isn't fully omniscient, according to if you look at the literal term, just because that means God would know every single thing that will happen. But that then takes away free will, which causes an issue, which is why people have this challenge between free will and destiny. Yeah. But God knows every potential outcome that could be there, but still gives us the options yeah. to respond and react to life to create uh, a future for our own self. But other than that little caveat, triple OG, you know, an all powerful God. An all-loving God would make a situation where we can transcend and connect and uplift ourselves and grow. And an all-powerful God can make a world where that exists. Mm. So it only makes sense then that if we have the two choices, everything ends when the lights are out. Oh, bummer. Or actually, no, a triple OG can make, would want to make this work because he's all-loving and it, and he's all-powerful so he can make this work. So like, let's, let's try this method on for size. <laughs> I agree. Wow, that was well said, man. Mm, I like that. <laughs> Good stuff. <sighs> Let's try this on for size, for sure. And uh, I like how it fits. <laughs> yeah. Personally.
if the glove don't fit, you must quit. Yeah, the idea is it's like, you know, some, anyone can say this, that, the other, oh, this works, that doesn't work. But it's like you have to, uh, you have to try the honey mm. to actually know what, what its effects are. You, you got to actually eat the meal. And so, my aunt used to have this rule. She called, called the one bite rule. I, I love my aunt, but I used to hate visiting because whatever she made, we had to take one bite. And I was a very picky eater as a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she said, you know, I don't like this. So you haven't tried it. You won't know until you take one bite. And of course, you take a bite, you're like, this is actually pretty good. And, but you, you need your one bite rule because we are scientists. We're spiritual scientists. We don't just want to be uh, blind followers like, okay, this works, this doesn't work. Why? Because someone said so. No, we, we, we have to try the theory ourselves, try the hype hypothesis out on our own and try it on for size and try this yoga practice. And then we'll actually know if it works or not. Yeah. And, you know, doesn't mean we try it once. It doesn't work. We quit. But just like any, any good data, any, any data that's actually reasonable to consider, there's, there's a bunch of uh, variables that have to be set in place. It's not just like, well, I tried it on once. and I'm like, No, it's like you have to try it in a consistent environment over time. And before you know it, uh, you might be one of the other quadrillions of souls that tried it on for size and liked it a lot. And, <laughs> you know, and what's the alternative anyway? Why not, why not take a bite and see how, it, see how delicious it might be? Mm-hmm. And in my personal experience is once you take a bite, you can't stop eating. Yeah, talk about an addiction, right? <laughs> you, guys, you guys, sometimes people say, you know, I've got an addictive personality. I said, like, I got something for you. <laughs> you want an addiction? Yeah, and that's how you know something's actually spiritual too. You know, sometimes everyone talks about what's spiritual, what's not spiritual. Oh, you know, and and I, no problem. Like I'm like all about. You just keep talking about it, like whether it's true or not, no problem. Just keep talking about. It. That's that's my mood typically. But we're talking about spiritual of the nature of spirit. How do we know if something is of the nature of spirit? Is that it resonates, whereas that which is material, it's like chewing a piece of bubble gum. The more you chew it, the more the flavor goes over time. And, you know, you chew, chew, chew. And that's what our experience in life is. The more you do material things, things that have a beginning and an end, the more they just over time get a little stale. Like everyone has a favorite song. You hear a song for the first time, you're like, oh, mm. it's my gym. And it can be the most positive, uplifting, affirmational song. But, you know, you listen to the second day, my song. You listen to every day for a week, you're like, oh, my song. After two weeks, you're like, okay, there's the song again. After three weeks, like, and there it is again. And then before, like, once you've heard enough times, you're like, I can't ever hear the song ever again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because even the most positive, uplifting sound, because it's material sound, there's a there's a limit, there's a ceiling for how tasty it'll be. But spiritual sound vibration, like mantras, are sound vibrations that are resonant with the self. And how do you know? Because the more you chant them, as you mentioned, they, the more you do it, it's like addictive. You actually, and it, not not in a way that it brings you down, not in like a um, you know, substance addiction, where the more you yeah. become dependent on that thing yeah. for happiness or, or a gambling addiction or a sex addiction or whatever the case it might be, a food addiction. But rather, it's a type of addiction that before you do it, while you're doing it, after you're doing it, it's moving you in the right direction. It's mm-hmm. propelling you in a direction that works. And, and that's why people sit and do mantras all day. And, you know, no matter how great the song is, there's no... Only so many times you could. My wife, we were recently driving in the car and um, she plays this song. And I was like, oh, yeah, I only heard you play this once like a month ago. Why don't you play this? I love this song so much. This is like such a gorgeous song. She goes, I got to space it out. Otherwise, I know I'm going to get sick of it. (laughs) I kind of like, you know, and that's just, that's how we have to do in this world, you know? Mm 
Mm. Yeah, everything in moderation. Oh wow, good stuff, man. I like your energy and your spirit. It's um, it's very contagious through time and space. This is this is great. Why, thank you, sir. Thanks for creating an environment so we can actually come and talk about these things. Mm. You know, maybe maybe I can share a couple of um, like what are some meditations and what are some things that quote unquote normal people can do to help yeah. get in touch with like spirit and yoga? Would do you think that would be helpful? For sure. I was actually going to ask you about that because you mentioned oh, cool. something about going in a certain direction. So I was going to ask, what does this direction look like? Like, you know, what does mm. this orientation of spirit look like in somebody's life? So perfect segue. <laughs> yeah. We're, that, that's how connected we are. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I know that for most of my life, I, I've really had some curiosity around these issues. And no matter how much I try to doubt and challenge, <laughs> and believe me, I tried some of these concepts. Uh, because I studied theology and philosophy growing up, and I was just always like, something's there, but it's, no one seems to talk about it. No one seems to want to answer my questions on it. Um, and so I always had this idea like, yeah, there's a spirit, spiritual practices and there's things that are helpful. There's ways to connect with divinity, et cetera. But it always sounds somewhat abstract and somewhat yeah, like, lofty. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it's like, what, like, you know, and, and, and it would often kind of then go into a more like what they would call like a woo woo space, where it's just like, yeah. you got to feel it. And I'm like, I feel, I don't know, indigestion right now. Like, like what do you mean mm-hmm. feel it? You know, it's like, I want to conceive of it as well. And even though obviously divinity is uh, a chintya, inconceivable and to a certain degree, obviously it supersedes or transcends our conceivability, our, our conception, but still we, we, uh, we are blessed with the ability to wrap our minds around the, the basic concepts of what a spiritual practice is and um, how to practice, you might say, divine connection or, you know, really coming in touch with the nature of the self, that fully blissful, fully cognizant, eternal soul, the real you, um, which ultimately means uncovering the labels, all the things that have covered that. And in order to get into those practices, I think it's helpful to have an idea of what that even means. And I always like to say that when you come into this world, once you're born, they immediately slap a name tag on you mm-hmm. and they say, your name is Schnicky. And you don't even have a choice. You can't even he- hold your head up. What to speak of have a choice. You don't get to pick your name. And you're just like, this is your name. And you're like, all right, my name is Schnicky. <laughs> and, you know, you get a little older and you're like kind of cute. And he's like, you get another label. It's like cute Schnicky. And then he's like kind of chubby. It's like chubby, cute Schnicky. And then it's kind of cool, cool. Ch- and like this, we, we gain this type of Rolodex of labels, which then takes the pure soul and just, you can imagine it like, uh, you take a little crystal marble, pure crystal marble, and you start taking stickers and you just put a bunch of stickers over it. If, if you just keep compiling stickers, it's like, what a ni- nightmare to take all those. It's like, it takes some real effort or maybe even a more natural example would be a diamond. It's like a diamond within all this rough coal and it takes strenuous time and effort to get all that gunk off. But ultimately, once you get it there, you've got this pure diamond, this pure gem, mm-hmm. just like we have all this conditioning that covers the true nature, the, the pure soul. And which I, we don't have to go this route, but it, I always think it's beneficial to acknowledge the idea that we are a pure soul as opposed to like the broken soul philosophy that you're eternally broken or damned or anything like that. No, because an all good, powerful deity 
would want the best for you, which means would want you to be not eternally broken, which would mean you'd be always insufficient, but actually would want you to be fully sufficient and an all-powerful deity can make you fully sufficient. So anyway, a fully, we are pure, whether you like it or not, the soul itself is pure, but we're contaminated by all these external coverings and conditionings. And so we're talking about spiritual practice. We're talking about that which uncovers this real nature of the soul. I like you gave this example. It's like when the light beam comes in, and as one of my teachers talks about, it's like if you're in a cave of darkness, and even if just one little pinhole of light comes through, mm -hmm. that's enough to have some reasonable faith. Mm -hmm. Like there's light, yeah. right? And so in the same way, practices that uncover the nature of the self, that even if we just get a glimpse of like, whoa, something just happened. Mm -hmm. Whether you even have words, understand, even whether you even understand that happened, or it's just a feeling, oh, something felt really good. There are practices that help you uncover the nature of the soul and the self, which according to the ancient yoga literatures, we're talking about practices where we're connecting with divinity, because it's mentioned that just as the sun globe and the sun rays are both the sun, like in my room, those of you who are uh, listening, you won't see, but there's, there's a couple sunbeams coming into the room right now. And if I were to point at them and say, this is the sun, we'd all agree, yeah, it's the sun. But if I also pointed the sun globe in the sky and I said, that's the sun, everyone would say, yeah, that, that's the sun. Because we, we often take the energetic and then the energy to be the same. The sun globe, the source of the light, and then the, the uh, byproduct or, or the, the energy of that light to be the same. And in the same way, um, divinity is this all-powerful sun-like globe. And we are these infinitesimal uh, products of light, which are qualitatively the same as divinity, but quantitatively smaller, mm. that are expanded off. So we are qualitatively the same as divinity, but quantitatively we are smaller. And how do we know that's because we don't have a lot of control. We're not, we're not all powerful. Yeah. And if you think you're all powerful, it's a bummer. It's a big old bummer. Yeah. yeah. Stand out in the sun. And... <laughs> <laughs> and so the idea is we want to connect back with the globe, or maybe even a better example is just like if you take a drop of water out of the ocean, that drop of water is H2O. It's, it's qualitatively the exact same thing of what the ocean is. If I say, this is the ocean, if I take a couple of drops of a man, this is the ocean, everyone's like, yeah, it's the ocean. If I point to the ocean, I say, that's the ocean. Yeah, that's the ocean. They're both the ocean, but the purpose of the ocean is when it's connected to source, connected to the ocean. So spiritual practices are really practices where we're taking our little H2O particle self, or our little lux, our little sunbeam particle, and reconnecting it back with source, where it actually belongs, where, where we're actually going to be energized, just like plugging into a, an electrical socket in the wall, where we're actually going to be able to get some juice, some energy. Yeah. And so, what are some practices that we can do to welcome in uh, this connection, which will inevitably bring one might say for this analogy, light into your life, or, or which really means clarity, because clarity is the opposite of ignorance. And ignorance means I don't know. People say this all the time. What do you want to do? I don't know. The opposite of that is clarity. What do you want to do? I know. Let me tell you. And some clarity of like what it is that we want to be doing in our life that's actually going to provide us deep satisfaction, not just for taking care of the mind and the body, which you got to do that. Otherwise, uh, good luck. <laughs> You become frumpy real quick. <laughs> frumpy. Become a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You don't take care of the mind and the body before you know it. You become a, we're going to have to check you in somewhere. So you got to take care of the 
the robot. And according to the Vedic literatures, the yoga literatures, it's his body's actually a gift. It's a temple. We have to take care of it. Yeah. Um, actually, can I tell a little story here, yeah. which isn't in relation to that? Mm-hmm. I always like the story in understanding the how this body is a gift and why we want to really take care of it. And don't just stop there. We, we want to go to spiritual practice, which in a minute, you know, maybe talk on some things we could try on for size and uh, that will be hopefully viscerally and psychologically noticeable. But there's a story where <clears throat> this one sage, this one sadhu, this one renunciate, this uh, individual who dedicated his life towards spiritual practices, he was going on journey on foot in India. This is before uh, automobiles were a thing. And he was meandering through the forest on his way from one destination to another, from one area in West Bengal to another area in Odessa. And he's going through this one forest, which is still there. You can still go to it. It's pretty cool. Still tigers there. The Jari Kunda forest. Anyway. Um, and as he was going through, he accidentally drank some contaminated water. Not very good. If you guys don't know what it's like, you just go on, I don't know, the Discovery Channel or whatever. It is. I, was, I was getting a haircut recently and I saw on the screen there was some type of show. Maybe it wasn't Discovery Channel or something like that. And it was like survive to type a real survivor thing, and they someone actually drank contaminated water, and they were done. They're like, "All right, send me home. We're done. I'm sick. Yeah. Everything's ruined." It's like, "Don't try this at home, folks." So he drank some contaminated water, got really sick, and got some like uh, sores throughout his body, like these rashes and sores. And then um, he went to the sacred place, and at the sacred place, he saw divinity, and he saw divinity incarnate, and as he so, you know, divinity, typically have this idea of all theologies of like, when you think of divinity, you think of someone with their arms wide open, like, give me a hug. And there was this idea of, oh, you know, divinity wants to hug me and touch me, but I have all these sores and all these wounds all over my body. I don't want to touch and like contaminate. So he becomes embraced. And then he, he just thinks to himself, like, better I give up my body. Like, better I like die. Then, then like deal with the uh, heaviness and the weight of having like contaminated my most beloved. And just by having that thought, um, divinity says, you know, how dare you? And he was very confused look on the sage's face. said, I don't understand. He said, how dare you even think like that? You think this body belongs to you, but really it's a divine gift. So, you know, and then he goes through and elaborates of how, how many, I mean, we're going to get real technical here, but that's, you're you're expert at this stuff, so we're allowed to. Um, The idea is when it comes to reproduction, how many sperm actually make it? Very few. When it comes to production of sperm, it takes whatever, 60 drops of blood for one drop. How many, how many drops of sperm actually even are created? Out of those, how many are in a human form of life? Out of all, out of the chance, the chances are astronomical to take a human birth. Yeah. It's like, like literally, it's, it's, it's so inconceivable about the amount of chances there are to take life and how many don't make it. Like, miracle. It's a miracle. 99.9 plus percent of living entities do not make it. Somehow we made it. And what to speak of to be in a body that actually cooperates and works that we can serve from? I mean, what, what greater gift is conceivable? And so like this, and he says, you know, how dare you? 
and and this sage realized, oh, you know, this body is it's a, this is really what it means to be a temple and to take care of the body. So anyway, take care of your mind, your body, people. And I'm a big fan of holistic health, like Ayurveda and Vedic psychology, different traditional practices that people have been using for thousands of years to take care of the mind and the body and um, heal naturally, not having to depend on just dealing with symptoms, but healing things from the root. Anyway, mm. conversation another time. But <laughs> as far as what goes beyond that, what are the practices we can do that are going to inevitably allow us to connect with divinity? So that was that was kind of a long rant. Anything you want to share before I get into maybe some more tangible practices or some specific things? Honestly, no. I thought that was beautiful. I don't really have anything else to say. That was great. Uh, yeah, this is a temple. We got to take care of it. Um, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> take care <laughs> of the temple, man. This is this is the temple. Um, the altar is inside, you know, inside of mm -hmm. the heart, some may say, but yeah, don't desecrate the temple while we're here. Yeah. And it's, it's also, it's like, what a beautiful perspective anyway, right? It's like, what's the alternative? We're just like a bunch of bones and flesh and marrow and yeah. blood. It's like, ugh, I don't want to think of it that way. It's like, <laughs> this is a, this is a miraculous, uh, technological suit that just works you don't even we don't even know how it works people spent the last multiple millennia people spent forever trying to figure out they they only understand a little bit of what the mind even does what to yeah. speak of the rest of the body like this all happened yesterday robot. literally you know like everyone's trying to make this ai to try to even compete with the body but the challenge is when you try to life comes from consciousness and if you try to remove consciousness, you get no life. And that's why as soon as the soul leaves the body, the body's done. And someone might even say, see the body that's there, the, the dead body and say, you know, they're no, the, the lights are out. They're no, they're no longer in there. There's this idea that as soon as the soul leaves the body, there's that, that life force, that consciousness leaves the body. It's no longer am, animated. So what's animating the body, the self is, um, yeah, this type of supercomputer, this incredible intelligence that everyone's trying to compete with, but no one can figure out. Anyway, so as far as what are some practices that people get into, I'm always a big fan of breath work for like preparatory meditations because it's nice to change the mind with your physiology. And so, you know, we don't necessarily have to get into any breath works now, but the cool thing with YouTube is nowadays I don't even have to teach breath work. I'm like, hey, I got thousands. <laughs> videos yeah. for you online people do but you know doing some type of breath work specifically one where the exhales are longer than the inhalate exhalations are longer than inhalations is to start to slow decompress slow down your breathing slow down your heart rate um, and allow a state of relaxation i always like that as a stepping stone into practices so that the mind will cooperate and as far as what meditations are there the ancient yoga literatures talk about various types of meditations and many people listening, you've tried different meditations and sometimes it can be really hard. Sometimes some are more fun, some are more annoying, whatever the case might be. But they talk about all, out of all the types of meditations available out there, there we want to get the senses as involved as possible. Senses being seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, and touching. The more you can engage your senses in the meditation, the easier it is for the mind to be involved. The less chances it is for the, that sense to be taken away. Just like if you're using your hands with something and aroma comes, 
that aroma can steal your attention. Or if you're saying something and you see something go by, that sight will take your attention. So we want where attention goes, energy flows. So we want to put our energy in engaging the senses as much as possible. Now, out of all the senses, which is the most important to engage for meditation is going to be the hearing process because sound carries consciousness and and the hearing process or, or the sound, which facilitates really just types of vibrations and everything in this world is emitting different vibrations. The vibrations that are conceived through this cool little mechanism of the ear, you guys can just Google what the anatomy of, anatomy of an ear. It's like, what? Who came up with this cool little microphone, a little, a little internal mics? The idea is sound will carry your consciousness more than the other sound senses do. That's why, for instance, we use an alarm clock as opposed to an aroma uh, diffuser to wake up in the morning. <laughs> you know, imagine if somebody's like, yeah. I didn't wake up, you know, that peppermint just didn't hit me hard. No, it's like, according to the senses, there's a particular type of um, weight they have in carrying your attention. And sound carries the consciousness the most because, you know, just like while this podcast is going on, if you hear an ambulance drive by, no matter how hard you try, you got to have to acknowledge it. Yeah. It's like, you know, and your your mind will get drawn to that and you have to bring it back, drawn to that and you bring it back. And that's just how powerful sound is. And the ears are fascinating because you just have two mechanisms that aren't really on, they don't close. Like the eyes, you can close them, you know, you close, <laughs> like it's ears. too much. It's like, it's too much sense, sensory input. The ears, no, you got to like, do a whole to-do to get them close. They're just, they just take in information. And people say you are what you eat, but you're also what you hear, what you see. Yeah. And so we want to engage the hearing process because that's what's going to take the mind. If, if you're, you know, an example is let's say you're just focusing on a flame and you're meditating, focusing on a flame. Don't waver your attention, but you hear a little tweet, 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 tweet. You hear a little whatever it might be. Your, your mind will be forced beyond your capacity to go uh, towards that sound. So we want to engage all the senses, but especially the hearing process. And so it's mentioned that out of all the meditations there, uh, we want to pick something that doesn't have a ceiling and something that's actually attainable. Just like sometimes people meditate to try to empty the mind. Let's just, maybe everyone will try that together. The kind of three, just empty your mind. No more thoughts. One, two, three, go. And you're done. Oh man, what happened? The mind's active by nature. You can't shut it off. No matter how hard you try, if you shut it off. That's probably means you died. It's not a very good look. Don't do that. And there's other meditations like to become desireless. Like everyone at the count of three, let's become desireless. You ready? No more desires. One, two, three, go. And that's a desire. <sighs> there's a limit. You know, just by trying to become desireless, that itself is a desire. And so there's all these meditations which can be helpful, but only to a certain degree. So we want to engage the senses in all ways, especially the sounds. And we don't want to just put good sounds in. Like affirmations work. I, I say they're not going to, they're not the only thing that needs to happen. You got to like put a little legwork, but affirmations work. Why? Because putting sound into the ears, especially saying it out loud and hearing it, it's going to change the mind. Again, where attention goes, energy flows just by saying it and hearing it, you're going to start to think about that thing more. Just like you get a new car and then as soon as you drive around on the road, you see, wow, everyone else seems to got, never realized how many other people had this car because now your attention's on that or, you know, whatever the case might be. People play punch buggy. Every time you see a buggy, you're like, get to punch your sibling or whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why be now you see buggies everywhere? Cause you you've honed your attention in that way. Yeah. And so we don't just want to focus on affirmations or sounds that are going to feel good because again, 
the more you chew, chew on them, they, the taste goes. We want to chew on that piece of bubblegum that gets more and more flavorful. And those are going to be the form of mantras. Man, mantra is a Sanskrit word broken down from manasa trayate. Manasa means the mind, and trayate means to free or to deliver. And so mantra means that which delivers the mind, and really what brings the mind back to its core self or the, or the soul. And so mantras are what we would call divine sound, sound vibrations that are divinity encapsulated through sound. The cool thing is divinity is not bound by time and space like we are. Like I get to the fortune of talking to you on your podcast. So if I said, Gary, you're like, yeah, I get your attention, right? Yeah. Now, as soon as this podcast is over, if I were to shout Gary, you would man, actually, you probably would because you're a yogi. You, <laughs> you're just like, man, if I, I'm open to it. <laughs> but most of us were bound by time and space. And so- just by saying your name or saying someone's name, they're not automatically going to manifest because we're bound by time and space. But divinity, fortunately, is not. So these mantras, these sound vibrations that are delineated in the ancient yoga literatures, they mentioned that they're not created sounds. They're sounds that evoke divine names and specifically intimate addresses of divinity, calling divinity in, in intimate forms, as opposed to saying uh, more formal names where it's Oh, all powerful, almost mighty, almost, which is, it's, it can be helpful. I mean, it can be helpful, but the Vedas, the yoga literature say even more is to practice this bhakti or this loving devotion of intimacy, where we not only call out divinity, but we're calling out with, with a mood of intimacy. Oh, my dear friend, almost beloved, yeah. almost caring, and not because with formality, there's a limit. Just like you don't, you can't go to your boss and say anything you want, or you know, go to your teacher, you know, in class and just say no, it doesn't work. But with your intimate friends, your intimate love, or your intimate those who are really close, then there's you can say what's really on your mind. And so we want to remove all those boundaries. And so the ancient yoga literature say we want to chant mantras, which are divine sounds, but not just divine sounds that create barriers where it's like, okay, I'm all, I'm very small and you're very large. Could be helpful at times for humbling and minimizing the ego getting in our way. But we want to also go past that and say, oh, most beloved, oh, most beautiful, most caring, most lovely. We want to evoke divinity in this form. And actually by saying these divine mantras and, you know, say it might be names like Rama, Rama, which means reservoir of all pleasure, or we say um Hara, Hare, which is divine feminine. Um, there's so, Hari, there's different mantras, which we're addressing divinity intimately. And we're calling them so we can chill with divinity, chill with the divine. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and through osmosis of just connecting, this is uh, what's taught as, at least for this age, to be the most potent of all spiritual practices, specifically of, of meditations. Because again, you're engaging all the senses. You don't have to worry about doing a meditation that has a ceiling. You're engaging the most important sense by saying sounds that captivate the mind. You're saying sounds that aren't, that aren't just going to get rote and blah, blah, blah and lame, but you're saying sounds that invoke divinity. Not just divinity, but also the most intimate forms of divinity. Ah, oh, now that's considered the highest form of all meditation in the ancient yoga literatures. And so maybe we could chant a few mantras together that we can then practice uh, by saying them out loud because then your mind wanders, but you bring it back to the sound, which is much easier to bring your mind back to sound than it is any other sense object. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, by chanting out loud and you're engaging the mouth, you're, you're chanting the mantras, the ears are turned on, the little microphones to take the information. You're not really engaging the sense of smell because to be honest, that's not 
as pulling for the senses anyway. With the eyes, you can engage them by singular focus, or you can just shut the curtains. There's these cool little curtains they come with, little eyelids that you just shut those bad boys off. And then even people engage the touching sensation by chanting on a mala or a bead or say something like a clicker that counts how many mantras one's chanting. And by sitting there and focusing and chanting these mantras out loud and bringing the mind back and forth uh, or, or back when it wanders, that's real meditation that's perceivable and that will help not only train the mind, you'll become as a byproduct more peaceful and happy and focused, but you'll also get a type of divine connection where you can perceive the nature of the self more. So anyway, that's a long-winded answer, but. <laughs> that was great. Beautiful. That was so well said. I don't think I could have ever said that uh, better myself in a hundred lifetimes. So yeah, I appreciate that. I applaud you on that. Um, yeah. It's a, it's like a practical means to connect with the divine and be almost, it seems like when I do mantra, it's like you become the mantra in a way. It's like you, you form your consciousness with the current of the mantra and you, you link up to that vibration, that, that natural sound of the vibration. Um, it's quite powerful stuff. From an outside point of view, it just looks like people singing. It's like, well, really? you don't really understand what they're saying. But when you do it, yes, when you actually do kirtan, you do mantras with discipline, it's very transformative and it's very powerful. So, yes, I know I can attest to what you just said. Sure. Proof of the pudding's in the tasting, right? You're like, mm -hmm. pudding. It's from good pudding. Yeah. 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 So maybe we just do a f maybe three or four mantras together. Um, and then I don't know if we can... would be able to do it together, like me and you, because there might be a slight delay. But if you want to do it, um, if you want to do it, and then I can mute and just do it myself, and then the viewers can go along with you. Because if we tried yeah. to sync up, I don't think it would work and it would just like. Technology's not ready for that yet. No, not yet. Yeah. We'll get there someday. Soon. Very soon. soon. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. Sure. Yeah, we, we, can, we can do that in a minute. And uh, specifically as a way of to just try it on for size. And we'll, we'll, just, we'll just give you guys a little bit of a bite. But if you like them, and even if you don't, if, you know, getting a bite may not give you enough information to know if you like it or not. But you could just try it on for size. And really the best way to do it is you just you get into a room, you close the door, lock it if you need to, and turn anything with an on switch on off switch off. Mm -hmm. anything that could otherwise take your day you just turn it off and you sit there and you know maybe you have a stopwatch or maybe you have some way of counting and how many mantras you're chanting because it's important to count just like if you just do as many push-ups as you feel like at any given day you're not going to be able to make consistent progress but if you know i'm going to do x amount of push-ups this day and then x amount this day then you can actually have data to build off of so the ancient sages of india said it's good to count either in form of time or the form of uh, how many mantras are you chanting? But to keep it simple, we're just going to chant the mantra a few a mantra a few times, and you can go and find some time, dedicate, and either put a five minute timer on your phone or say, "I want to do ten mantras, one hundred eight mantras, whatever it is." There's no right or wrong. It's just you got to pick something that works. You know, you got yeah. some days you can drink more water, some days you can drink less, but you got to drink some water. And so, mm -hmm. finding a certain amount of mantras every day that you're like, "Yeah, I'd like to commit to trying this," because again, we're we're scientists here. We're spiritual scientists. That means we got to try it on for size. Try the hypothesis on to see if it actually works. And um, the ancient yoga literature say you got to try it once or twice, or maybe uh, do it for. I like to say three weeks it takes supposedly takes that long to make a habit, whether it's true or not. I like it. The idea of just do it for three weeks, and whether that's ten mantras a day, a hundred mantras a day, five hundred mantras, it doesn't matter. Just pick something that you know you can do every day and try it on for size. And if you don't like it, uh, money back guarantee for today's podcast. <laughs>
and yeah. so <laughs> and so in a moment here um we could chant it and maybe what i'll do is i'll share what's called the maha mantra maha in sanskrit means great there's so many great mantras and so many that are mentioned throughout the vedic literatures that are manasatrayate, that deliver the mind. But it's mentioned in one Upanishad, which is one of the Vedic literatures that teach spiritual content very uh, very directly. It says that in this particular age we're in, it's called Kali Yuga, or the age of quarrel and hypocrisy. This is in the Kali Shantarana Upanishad. It's meant that, uh, right, guys? No, I'm kidding. So if for those of you not familiar with Sanskrit, what we're talking about is out of all the mantras that can be achieved in all the Vedas, um, the panacea mantra is this 32-syllable maha mantra. So that rather than you having to learn all these mantras, which could take a little bit of time and energy, uh, what can be achieved in all these mantras is achieved in just this one singular mantra for this age because our memory and capacity just seem to keep going down and down and down with time. So the they make it easy. They say, just do this one mantra for this particular age. And it's, it's guaranteed perfection specifically for transcending material energy and reconnecting with source, with divinity. Those two particular things. And so this Maha mantra, it's fairly simple. And so maybe what I'll do is rather than um, I'll break it into different bites and then I can have, I'll say it and everyone can respond and I'll say it. And we'll just do this two, three, four times like that. And I want you to... Um, Try it in such a way as if you need to close your eyes, take a few deep breaths, decompress, do whatever you got to do. You know what it's going to take to just chill out for a moment or two and see what would it take for just a few moments to give these mantras your full attention, see what happens, um, and be the spiritual scientist, be the uh, experiment yourself. So uh, let's try it now. I'll, I'll say through it one time to give you guys pronunciation, and then I'll call it call and response, and then maybe, Yeah. I'll do it a couple times, maybe then I'll hand it over to you if you want, or otherwise everyone can follow along. You think so, I should mute myself or should I be the, the call? <laughs> sure. Uh, oh, actually, no, I like that. Yeah, I say, I'll say i say it and then you can respond maybe, and then everyone can say it with you just to make it a little bit All easier. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. I, I want to hear you say it anyway, because right. calling, you know, hearing and chanting, it's, it's a... Yeah, we'll try it. It's how it goes. So with this Maha Mantra, we're, we're chanting specifically three different names invoking... Hare, which is the divine feminine, and Krishna, which means the all-attractive divine masculine, and also Rama, different names for divine masculine. So I'll break this mantra down and I'll say it out loud, and then Gary will respond. You can please chant it with him and just give your attention to these few mantras as we go through it. If you need to shake it off, go for it. And take one deep breath all together. Big sigh out the mouth. Ah. And we'll take a deep breath, and, and here's what it sounds like. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Rama Rama. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Rama Rama. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Rama Rama. Hare Hare. Hare Hare.
And that's just three. <laughs> mm, I can already feel it. And if you couldn't yet, for those who might not have felt it quite yet, no problem. Uh, you have full permission to not stop. And if someone ever tells you, hey, stop chanting those mantras, you say, sorry, guys, got permission to keep to keep on chanting. Keep this transcendental celebration. You know? Yeah. Because it's a lot more when you have instruments and then you also yeah. sing it. We weren't really singing. It was more so just like a little... You know, like I said, just a little taste, but yeah. when you're actually like engrossed and you're with a group, it's like, oh, it's powerful, man. I don't know how to explain it. It's powerful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we, we, our whole mission and goal is we teach what's called the monk mindset method. I was, a, I, I, I left out a little detail. I was a monk. I lived as a monk with a shaven head and robes in India and different monasteries in the world for about a half a decade, you know, which is what most normal, uh, kids do when they're 18 years old. On my 18th <laughs> birthday, I moved into a monastery. Anyway, and uh, what I've done is try to take these tools and knowledge that I learned um, and make them accessible and practical so people don't have to shave their head and move into a monastery and wake up at 3.30 in the morning and all that jazz. And so um, for anyone who feels like meditation is challenging or hard, we have uh, different free resources online that we created to try to make it easy. For you, and so maybe at some point I can share how to access those resources for anyone who wants, yeah, who wants to do these types of meditation, especially for those who feel like it's kind of hard and I don't know where to start, and this is overwhelming, and yeah. so many meditations. Which do I do, etc. And so we have different things uh, where we teach what's called the monk mindset method, different types of meditation practices that um, at some point I'm happy to share. For sure, um, I would like to get into why you left the monastic life. But mm. how much time do you have? It's uh, it's up to you. You know, I don't want to. Take I time. am so happy to connect with with you about this. So yeah, okay. let's let's. Uh, I always like to say uh, we got to leave the audience wanting more, right? You guys feeling that way? No. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk maybe a little bit about that because that's uh, it's kind of juicy. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, and then and then we could get into some yeah maybe other practical things. So I on my 18th birthday I. The reason I joined a monastery specifically is because I was doing what everyone else was doing. I was going to college and I was like so unfulfilled. And I, I graduated high school at 16, not because I was so smart, but because I was like, figure out what is the least amount of credits I need to get the hell out of this place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I figured it out and I did it. And then I, went, I was like, all right, I guess I got to go to college now. And uh, so I went to college and for some time I was doing that, but I was so unfulfilled. And again, I was studying philosophy and theology and I was really intrigued by it. The different theologies out there, but I, I was I would get frustrated because, like, say, I'm a big fan of Abra- a lot of the practices within Abrahamic religions of you know Christianity, Judaism, Islam, etc. Um, and I would like always try to go to these different places of worship, to try to understand, like, you know, what about this? What about that? Can you tell me about the soul? Tell me about this, that, the other. But I it, I was always unsatisfied with the answer. It, it would either come to a point where we're not exactly sure. Stay tuned, see if I can get you an answer, or it'd be like. Better you don't ask these questions. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? Better don't ask these questions. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> like, no. all I want to do is ask these. Like, I'm not. I'm not trying to waste this life away. And so, I was trying. I was really trying to find it. Even like, I went towards more Buddhist practices, and even then, I, I I couldn't quite jive with the idea that I'm non-existent. And at the time, this uh, was well, at least. There's Mayana Buddhism, which is the primary form of Buddhism is taught nowadays. But more traditional forms of Buddhism, where there's actually a form of a deity and Buddha being an incarnation of the divine and whatnot, that, that I could dig with. But the more impersonal where 
you know, you die and then you just go back into nothingness. I'm like, that's no thanks. <laughs> like if I don't know either way, why would I pick that? And then, then I came across the Bhagavad Gita, which is, uh, those of you not familiar, you call it the yoga book, if you will. It's, it's the oldest delineation of the yoga processes from karma to jnana to dhyana to bhakti, the various practices of how to link with divinity. And I started to read that. Actually, funny enough, my father said, I'll give you a hundred dollars if you read the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> because I was so, he was like into the spiritual stuff. I was like, no, dad, you know, millions of other people doing this other stuff. It can't be in this little like, and he's like, I'll give you a hundred bucks. He said, consider it done. So I read the Gita and I thought, and all of a sudden I was like little explosions in my mind. I went, what? This is the craziest stuff I've ever heard. You're telling me I'm a soul. I'm an eternal soul that has a unique relationship unlike any other living entity will ever have with divinity. What? You tell me that I don't have to wait until I die to go to some spiritual realm or something like that. You're telling me I can transcend in this very life. I mean, these ideas that were just so foreign at the time. And so I was like, I need to figure out who the heck's talking about stuff. So I would, I would travel to go to different places where there's these, you know, bhakti yoga monasteries. And, and I would go there and I started meeting these, what are called brahmacharis, these student monks that were only a handful of years older than me, typically. I mean, all ages, but, you know, oftentimes hang with the guys who are only, whatever, 5, 10, 15 years older. And I was like, these are the coolest people I've ever met, ever. <laughs> I just like, they the were just Jedi. so, for sure. I mean, actually, funny enough, um, George Lucas says that Star Wars, uh, was yeah, George Lucas, yeah, says that Star Wars was based off of a lot of the readings of Vedic literatures like the Ramayana, oh, yeah. even down to the hairstyle. Anyway, yeah. um, fascinating stuff, the robes, but... I uh, I met these guys. These guys are incredible. Like how? And I was like, I need to figure out what they're doing. And you know, so I started just try to visit and like, what do we do? And I was like, I want to become a monk, but I was seventeen. They're like, sorry, it's a liability. You can't come as a minor. I was like, and and then they kind of intent uh, intelligently egged me on. Like, yeah, we're not sure if you can do it anyway. Better you like do it at home first to like prove it to us, which was a total brilliant way to like instigate me to practice at home. And so started waking up at you know, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning to like, you know, started practicing the different chants and the mantras and the prayers and studying the literatures. Um, and then finally on my 18th birthday, I was like, Can I? like, yeah. And so that's when I moved in and shaved my head. And um, yeah, weirdly enough, my parents were all about it. They were like, some people are like, oh God, were your parents super bummed? I was like, no, they were like, they like dropped me off. They were stoked. <laughs> they were like, good luck, kid. If it gets weird, call me. Like, <laughs> Wow. I mean, not they didn't actually drop. I, I talked to them maybe every day, but but you know there was still this idea like, you know, you taught us what they're teaching there, and you know we talked with the people in charge, so like we're gonna will, we're gonna trust me to stay there, and so I did that for a few years. But there's two types of monk. There's a lifelong monk and then a student monk. What's called a brahmachari is the a student monk, one who's uh, practices from a younger age for some years and then graduates. Then you have a lifelong celibate monk. Usually people don't take those vows until they're older, 50, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, like that. Um, typically not in their late teens, early 20s. People done it. It's not, not advised. Yeah. And so I was a student monk and under the guidance of the teachers that you make a plan, you say, okay, I'd like to be a monk for this long. And then you reevaluate. And then after about four years, a little, you know, over four years, it was like, I was like, I'm getting, getting a little antsy here, mm -hmm. like practicing celibacy and like having a really intense morning sadhana for like hours of meditate. It's, it was, it was super fulfilling and I loved it, but it was getting to the point I was like, 
yeah. okay, my mind's starting to, I'm ready for that next step. I'm ready to start taking this stuff out. And yeah. so under the guidance of my teachers, we, we did a type of graduation to become a normal person, just so I can grow some hair again. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite college what you were in. Yeah. Different type. That's for sure. A different type of bachelor's degree per se. Yeah. <laughs> Got my master's yeah. in monkhood. So what did it teach you? Um, you know, what did you get out of it per se? And then what led you back into the quote normal life? Mm -hmm. Well, if you got about 15 days, I can answer that question for now. Um, I would say, I mean, I got so much, but main thing was learning how to actually dedicate my life towards service. Because in if you are grateful, you serve. If you're grateful and, and you feel like you've gotten a lot of kindness and mercy and uh, sweetness and reciprocation for others, then you want to reciprocate. You want to serve. So gratitude means service. Entitlement means what's in it for me. You know, you know, entitlement means like, I deserve this and more. You guys should do more for me. And so I really learned this mood of service of how to actually just show up in a way of to really just try to contribute in, in impacting people's lives positively. My own life, but specifically how to help others and how to uplift them, uh, as well as learning sense control, the, you know, sensitivity and sense control, how to not just do what the mind says, because wow, what a, what a bummer that is. If you just, yeah, mind says, just, yeah, eat that up. Just eat one more cupcake. You only ate 13. Just eat one more. Yeah. Right? If you insist mm -hmm. and learning really how to control the mind and the senses, because it is not easy to wake up at the booty crack of dawn mm. and you know, two hours. I mean, with other monks, it's a little easier because it, it's kind of like a spiritual frat house, but it's not easy per se, or at least it's not comfortable for the mind. And so getting over that, and, and that's really what's, what I would say has provided me success in my life in the various areas of my life is just learning how, how to identify realistic goals, attainable goals. And when I say realistic, not what I think is it possible, literally what's possible within the laws of physics. Mm-hmm. Um, break those down into the behaviors that are needed in achieving those goals in alignment with one's values, and then figure out how to work that into one's daily routine in life so that you can inevitably achieve success in the different areas of your life. And so I learned how to, if you will, plan life in this way. And I, I think that's why, you know, once I graduated, um, I immediately was like, I want to teach this stuff. And I ran around the world kind of like a headless chicken trying to share it and teach it. And then I eventually realized I should probably be more systematic. And that's why I created my own business of like, I like, Oh, I was like, if people take it for free, they often take it for granted. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. if you just give things away, sometimes people don't always appreciate it. And I realized, okay, I got to like do educational trainings and whatnot. And um, as soon as I decided, I started to create a, uh, I did online trainings and virtual retreats and also in-person retreats, taking people to India for pilgrimages and whatnot. And um, immediately was able to create a six plus figure business doing that. And you know, sometimes people are like, oh, how'd you do it? What strategy do you use? And it's, it's no, it's like, I figure out what do I know how to do that impacts other people's quality of life and that improves other people's quality of life? And what do I need to do consistently to be able to support myself financially in doing? Yeah. And once you figure that out, then you just do it and you just show up. Mm. And, and, like, and since then, we've even been able to grow that to the point where we don't even just help holistic practitioners and meditators, but even teach people who already know how to help people make their own businesses and thrive. So they're not worried about money. They're not worried about, you know, they, they're not constantly in anxiety. What about this? They're like, they take care of themselves financially so they can actually show up, show up and serve. 
yeah. rather than like, hey, I'd like to serve, but I got to like, I'm freaking out about paying this bill. Of, you know, <laughs> it's like how to actually do yeah. what you want and monetize it so you can really make an impact. And so that's why I not only wanted to graduate and learn how to do this myself, but it's just so much easier to impact people when you look like a, look and talk like a normal person. I don't, I don't want to call myself normal by any degree, but more relatable than shaven head and robes. And people are like, yeah, maybe yeah. it works for you, monk man, but not for me. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say every single human being is a servant in a way? Just in our own way, we each have our, our, our knacks, you know, our certain quirks about us. But would you say at the end of the day, we're all serving or at least we're put here to incarnate, to serve, um, serve a greater purpose? one could say i would say that i let's put it a i'm trying to think of how bob dylan said it say might be the heaven it might be the devil but you got to serve somebody Mm -hmm. yeah we're always serving someone and some purpose at all times or we're serving something whether it be our own senses whether it be our family whether it be our pets whether it be our bosses whether who fill in the blank we're constantly serving someone whether it's serving our country it's like we're serving someone and something. Yeah. So I'm all about efficiency. I'm just like really trying to, I'm like, I'm not trying to waste time here in this life. So, okay, if I got to serve, like to whom do I want to serve? Mm. And then you just, you figure, you know, you go up that chain of, you go up the ladder and you go to the top. It's like, let's just serve, let's just serve whom allows everything else to go on. The, the boss, the real boss. So, yeah, mm-hmm. the boss. Let's just, you know, let's not serve the laborers necessarily or the managers. Let's serve the boss because if you serve the boss, guess what? The laborers and the manager, everyone else under him also gets taken care of. Yeah. And so the idea is, yeah, we all serve. It's just natural. And if somebody says, I don't serve nobody, I'm like, my friend, let's look at your life, whether it be your family, whether it be your friends, whether it be your company, whether it be your client, like whoever it is, we're serving someone and something at all times. So because we are servants and we're always wanting to serve something, and that's the only time we actually feel happy. If we're just trying to take, we never feel happy. Ask the most wealthiest people in the world. They're like, yeah, this doesn't really help. What really helps is when I like spend quality time with people I like and like give back, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and this idea of giving back of serving. And so- we all serve by nature. The real question is to whom deserves our service. Mm-hmm. And I always like to say the one who's had your back the whole time. I like that. <laughs> mm. So it's just a matter of who we serve. No matter what, there is action here. There is energy springing forth from this bodily vessel. So it's just like, how do you want to put, what direction do you want to put that in? Uh, mm-hmm. And how well do you do it too? And I guess so the practices summing it up, the practices are so we can become a better tool. We can become like an, a, a better instrument mm-hmm. in the song of God, one may say. But we have to be able to tap in firstly and like have a foundation within the self first so that yes, thus you can serve more efficiently. So I see it almost like a, as a two-step process. It's like, yes, you do find that little, that little golden nugget of light within, you know, get, get the glimpse of God, however you want to say it. There's a lot of different ways to say it, but, you know, figure out your own innate divinity and then spread the love, man. It's like, it's like, what am I going to do? Just keep it to myself. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe that's what you figured out. Like you figured out this divinity when you were following the monastic life, but then it's like, well, 
now I got to like put it into action. I have mm-hmm. to like, you know, actually do something with this. Like, it's almost like you got, what am I going to do with this? You got like a certain, <laughs> you got like something you got to like, you got weight that you got to in your hands. It's like, you got to, you got to give it to people. You got to do something. Um, that's how I see it. So is that how you saw it? Like you, you know, you, you found this, this newfound state of being, this new perspective on life, um, this new lifestyle. And from that, you wanted to just give back and hopefully change some people's life, right? Is that, is that the way? I mean, I brilliantly said, said really well and absolutely. And the idea is a drowning lifeguard can't save any, but a strong lifeguard can save many. Mm-hmm. It's like we want to become the strong lifeguards and understand it and you know get strength for to take care of ourselves. And then once we're strong enough, then we tell people. Just like you take eat something really good, if, all you want to do is tell people, like, oh my God, you gotta try it. Yeah. Right? It's just the nature, that's just how we are as humans. We just we want to share, we want to serve. And so that's not like a messiah out- complex type of way, though, right? Because that could seem yeah. grandiose. So how would you say that's different? Like, how would you say that's like actually practical? coming into this because i feel as though one way or the other it is like like how do you how do you become the the humble servant (laughs) yeah without without seeming like you are the messiah because it is the truth it's like we when you once you find out another way to put it like once you find out there is a divine spark you do want to i wish i could give it to everybody i wish i could right now just snap my fingers and everybody realizes that you know, we're, we're eternally loved. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how do you figure, like, how do you go on that wavelength of wanting to save everybody, but without appearing as the, the one and only savior, like staying yeah, humble yeah. in that, that wavelength? Well, I think you said it really well in the form of being the instrument. I, I, I think the fundamental, the, the foundation is to understand things realistically. And that is that we're small and minute and actually quite con- powerless in many, many ways. And that really anything that we have to give is being uh, divinely inspired. And so, you know, I like this word instrument that you use is that we want to be conduits or instruments of this divine source and this divine power, because we're so small, what can we really give? Now, you've got lots of gifts, everyone gives, you can't, there's certain, but if you just give from what you have, eventually you got an empty bucket. We want to plug into the source to keep the battery fully charged at all times. And what we do, the way that we not only keep ourselves plugged in, but also keep ourselves humble, which really just, I say, humility is just understanding the world realistically and knowing like you're very small. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, if you're not sure, just go on Google Maps and like look at your house and just start expanding. And that's just the world. What's big of that? If you don't know that, then go to like one of these other websites where you can see like the earth in relationship to the other planets and then the other the planets in relationship to the galaxy and the galaxy relates to other ga- like you little tiny little speck mm-hmm. in this world that doesn't mean there's insignificance but it means we are so limited in our ability to actually give from ourselves. Yeah. so the way that we not only realistically look at life and, and experience as you mentioned being a humble servant which is like that word is so People don't even like, I don't want to be a humble sir. But like realistically, there's so much joy and being like, yeah, I'm just a humble sir. I'm just here to help. Yeah. The way we do that is by connecting through, um, the yoga literature is called parampara or a di- disciplic succession, connecting with other selfless teachers, teachers who just give, 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 and who empower us and who impart the knowledge onto us. And by serving them, and again, if you get a qualified teacher, that means they have a qualified teacher who has a qualified teacher. And, and like that, the chain goes up and you find these legitimate 
lineages and sources of knowledge, of, of inspiration, and you serve as part of a team and not trying to do it yourself, but rather you, you connect yourself with a yeah, lineage, a community of, of those who've not only done it longer for you, maybe even more effective and more knowledgeable and more expert or whatever the case might be, you connect with them and, and you serve that rather than trying to go straight to divinity, you serve through the mediums which the information came to you. That's just what gratitude means. Someone gives you something, you're grateful for them. And so you connect yourself with a lineage of teachers that can actually impart knowledge practically and realistically while simultaneously understanding that you have a unique dharma or psychophysical nature. And according to that, you gotta, you, you gotta act in this world and do something, you know, according to your gifts. But ultimately, Everything can be taken care, taken away in just a moment, yeah. just gone. And so not being proud about them, but being uh, realistic, which means knowing they can be taken away, knowing that they're just a gift. This body's a temple. It's a gift. Yep. And, and having that meditation is what's going to allow us not only this mood of humility, healthy humility. And again, humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. Mm. The way that we cultivate that mindset is, 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 by not only having this community of others we can serve, but also having this idea like I'm, there's only so much I can do. But when I plug in a source, wow, now I can be played. You know, the instrument don't make no sounds all by itself, but mm-hmm. when it put up to the lips of divinity, whoa, <laughs> hot diggity dog. It's like, just because there's only so much that you can do, doesn't mean there's nothing you can do. Mm. It's a simultaneous mindset of humility, yet also, so it's like humility in the face of God, but empowerment as an expression of God. That's how I see it. It's a simultaneous mindset that one has to balance as the servant, as the humble servant. Hmm. What are thy faith without thy works? James talks about but the idea. It's like you have to have both. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, as far as dharma goes, as far as like what one's intrinsic nature is, uh, I, I think that's always a helpful place for people to start too, is like, what are your gifts? And acknowledging those gifts to figure out how to interact in the world with that. And according to the ancient psychology, there's a Vedic psychology, there's different ways that that's broken down. And um, anyway, like I said, we've got different resources like this, uh, free things online that if anyone's ever interested in checking out uh our website, madhu.life, we've got different free resources you can find there as well. With We have, you know, uh, one example is we have a Dharma discovery call, which is a 10-minute call with either myself or I, I have a team now of other former monks, people who are also monks that graduated. Mm. And what we do is, you know, connect with people and help them figure out what your Dharma is. Because once you can figure that, once you're like, once you have realization and clarity of like, oh, wait, this is what I'm here to do in this world, then it's just so much easier to do it. <laughs> Yeah. The reason people don't start because they're like, I don't know, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should. No, it's like, let's gain some clear idea of what those next steps are. And so yeah. it's always available. It's always available. And our whole goal is to make sure, just as you're doing so wonderfully, is to make sure this knowledge is available and accessible for people. So yeah. you don't have to just go to India and try to learn Sanskrit and try to eke out as much meaning as you can from it there. But rather sitting in your home in, I don't know, Wisconsin. Shout out to anywhere. My- your Wisconsin listeners. Wisconsin, uh, any, all 50 states. Exactly. Yeah. Everywhere, and all countries. Exactly. <laughs> Shout out anybody. Yeah. anybody Shout listening. out to you all for sure. <laughs> you know, it's like wherever you're at, sitting, sitting from the luxury of your own couch, you can yeah. start to connect divinely.
So that's the beauty of the time that we're in. I mean, some may look at the darkness of Kali Yuga and be distraught by it, but I'm actually, uh, I think it's a beautiful time to be alive. Um, mm. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, we have our, there's definitely a lot of darkness, but I think there's a lot of light and it's just about how we go about living in, the, in these times. Like, how are we going to uh, traverse down the, the turbulent currents, down the river of life? of Kali Yuga, you know, like, how are we going to, mm. how are we going to sail the boat down this river? Um, we have the tools necessary, most likely, you know, most likely all of us have the tools necessary to be, to become the monk in a way, like become the practical monk in all of our own living rooms. Um, yeah, you don't have to go to India. There's definitely people mm -hmm. that have, um, um, so, you know, shout out to you, applaud you <laughs> for doing that. But that's the thing is you guys went, not even you guys, a lot of other people, there's a, plenty of other people that have taken um pilgrimages to these areas gain this knowledge and brought it back for people so they don't have to and that's the beauty of it you know it's like you don't you don't have to go anywhere isn't that so beautiful like you really don't if you want to realize the supreme source the infinite the eternal and bring it forth into your life to be a loving compassionate servant and ultimately live a good life, man, uh, you know, live a happy, joyous life for the most part, to the best of your ability, we can all do that. It's accessible for all of us, even in the midst of these turbulent times and in these dark times. Especially. Yeah, especially. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Especially in these dark times, we can find that little glimmer of hope within and, and spread it to the world. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, that may sound over idealistic, you know, some may say like, come on, Gary, seriously, but that's just how I feel. I really do believe every single human being is capable of that. Um, yeah, mm. I don't know. You agree? Like we're all. Wow. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Bravo. Yeah. 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 And I think the cool thing is everyone can just ask themselves, what's one way I can improve one person's quality of life? And we can imagine if that's the mindset, like how could I help one person in one way? Then you're going to feel good about it. And then you got about uh, almost 8 billion people whose life has now been improved. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, how to tap into that. And everyone actually knows. Everyone knows what you're here to do. It's just a matter of being willing to sit long enough with and work past the block blockades of the mind to yeah. actually witness that. And so, um, you know, as far as, as far as these practices go, there's so many. And, you know, it's again, it's so valuable to have a resource like you bringing this knowledge to the surface. And, you know, I'm grateful for everyone who's taking the time to listen to this because you're not typical. You guys are weird. No, I, I, I mean it in the form of most people aren't willing to take so much time and invest it in their ultimate good. But you guys all get the credit for showing up here. And Gary, you really get the credit for creating the space for that. And for that, I'm grateful. And, you know, it's not easy to keep a podcast going. I don't think people know. People don't know what it takes to be consistent. Nope. And you're crushing it. And I'm just, I feel so grateful to, be able to come live here and uh, try to serve. And you know, I might have to convince you to do it again. Let's <laughs> do it again together. <laughs> For sure. I am grateful as well. Eternally grateful. Um, mm -hmm. It's only possible because of people like you. So, you know, we're, we're doing this together. We're a team. The the mm -hmm. hosts, the guests, and the audience, we're all in this together. It's, it's a beautiful symbiosis that we have found, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Absolutely. Product of our times that we're in. It's just a beautiful thing to be able to do this. So. I bow to you. I bow to the audience. Um, and yeah, I thank you. Do you have anything else that you'd like to say? Any last words or yeah. 
What I would say is this, is that never feel hopeless for anyone listening. Never, ever, ever, ever feel hopeless. If you could simply accept the reality that there's always a step in the right direction for you, and if you're just willing to take one step in the right direction, I can promise you, I can promise you before you know it, you'll look back and go, wow, how did I get this far? If you could just consistently ask yourself that question, what is the next right step? And what is the you know, next step in the right direction? Before you know it, you'll have moved mountains. And we, we don't want to move mountains overnight. We just want to move a couple of pebbles every day. And before you know it, the mountains moved. So keep showing up. You deserve peace and ease and connection. And you don't even need to find community because now you're in community. You've got this community and, and there's others. And, uh, and make sure that you stay connected because you deserve, you deserve peace and you deserve accessibility for transcendence, which mm-hmm. ultimately, which is real peace. Mm-hmm. And so, and if, if I can help and serve in any way, that's, that's what we're here for. And if anyone has any questions on Dharma or any, any of these free resources, resources we're talking about with the monk mindset, um, you can really find all that information at, madhu.life, M-A-D-H-U dot L-I-F-E, or easiest option is most people nowadays are on social media. So you could just send us a message on social media everywhere. We're just madhu.life, M-A-D-H-U dot L-I-F-E. And just, if you send us a DM, what would be a good word? I almost wanted to say Gary. <laughs> <laughs> that would Let's, work. You could say Gary. Conscious. Con- I like that. If it, you just send me the word, DM me the word conscious, and then, you know, myself or someone on my team will connect with you and make sure you've got some options, some resources, some things that will help because you're not alone. So no need to pretend like you are. And we're really here to help make sure that you've got some ideas, some options. And your other homework is you got to keep listening to this podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. For sure. For sure. Take care of yourself first and then listen to the podcast. Yes. <laughs> drowning, you know, drowning lifeguard can't save anyone, right? You got to get yourself strong and then you can help others. And really thank you again, Gary, for uh, this illuminating conversation. And uh, everyone, enjoy the life you, you're living. You deserve that. For sure. For sure. Thank you. Thank you to anybody that has listened this long. Much love. <laughs> Thank you again, Gary. We'll talk to you all soon. For sure. Peace and love.